Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Our walk through the Old Testament hymnal, the book of Psalms, continues with Psalm 102. A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before Yahweh. Hear my prayer, O Yahweh. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me, answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered, I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Yahweh, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is time to favor her. The appointed time has come, for your servants hold their, her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of Yahweh, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For Yahweh builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise Yahweh, that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven Yahweh looked down at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of Yahweh and in Jerusalem his praise. When peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship Yahweh, he has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. O oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. And here we have an unknown psalmist recording his grief at the sight of what is happening, both to him personally, but also to God's holy people, which we get in the paragraph that starts at verse 12. He pours himself out before the Lord, before Yahweh. He expresses deep sorrow, but at the same time he expresses deep faith. For why else would he pour himself out to Yahweh in the midst of this? 
if he thought Yahweh had turned his back on his people, if he thought Yahweh had abandoned him forever, he would not seek Yahweh. No, he has faith, a faith that endures even suffering. And that is the kind of thing that I would use as the basis for a family conversation today. Is there anything making you sad right now? Is there anything you're suffering from right now? Those are good questions in general for a family to talk about. And the more often you do it when a child is young, the easier those questions may continue to be as the child grows up. So, I mean, if you just out of the blue ask a teenager that for the first time in, you know, 15 years, they may not give you a straight answer. They might find it odd and kind of push you back, push you away. But if it's been normal to have such conversations about what grieves us in our lives, then it may be, I won't guarantee it, but it may be more received in those difficult years of life. But you ask that question in order to then follow it up too with how does faith in Christ, how does that help you in the midst of such sadness, sorrow, suffering? What is the place for faith? What is the place for Christ? And again, I mentioned it just a psalm or two ago, First Peter's letter to the church, that the point of that letter is that in our suffering, we are pointed to Christ's suffering. So as we suffer, we are reminded that there is one who suffered for us. So our suffering helps us to remember Christ's suffering. It points us to the cross. It points us to the forgiveness of sins. It points us to the promises Jesus has made that he will raise us to new life where there will be no suffering or pain or sorrow or death. It will all be taken away. This is most certainly true. This is a beautiful and good thing. Suffering, according to Paul in Romans chapter 5, also builds endurance, and endurance builds character. Character builds hope. If everything is just happy all the time, if everything is just peachy dandy all the time, our children will not see the need for a Savior. What do they need to be saved from? This is... a difficulty of the American mindset and the teaching of our day that man is basically good, people are basically good. At that point, what what do we need saving from? Oh yeah, I made a mistake the other day, but no big deal. I'm a good person. Sorrow, suffering, reminds us that we're not. We do. We suffer because we sin. It's not to say you need to try and figure out why your momentary suffering, your suffering and pain in this moment, what sin that might be connected to. That's a fairly fruitless endeavor. Could it be? Sure. But it may not be. This is a broken world because of sin. My body is broken because of sin. My mind is broken because of sin. My emotions are broken because of sin in general. Overthinking it probably won't be helpful. We trust in Christ. 
who is the one to rescue us, who will bring us through this, even if not in this life. Paul prayed for the thorn of his flesh to be removed, and the Lord left it. Why? Because God's strength is made perfect in man's weakness. When we are weak, we realize we cannot do this on our own, and so we throw ourselves into the Lord. We, we don't just lean on him, right? We throw ourselves on him. Lord, care for me. I cannot carry myself. Carry me. And he does, because he is faithful. All right, so that's, that's an overview of the psalm. So as we take a look at the, the text itself of this man's deep faith in deep sorrow, he prays. And he prays for God to hear him. He prays for God to answer him. He prays that God would answer him quickly, speedily. Verse 3 through 11 express the, the brokenness that he is facing at the moment in very vivid language. My days pass away like smoke. That's an easy picture to see, right? Go ahead and make some smoke. So light a candle and then snuff it out and watch that smoke just disappear within moments. So is, so is his life. It's disappearing quickly. My bones burn like a furnace. Burn up like in a furnace, perhaps. The, the picture of his bones disintegrating, being destroyed. My heart struck down like grass has withered. It's a picture we can see. Grass dies. We had a fairly rough drought last year, and even in the, even in the spring... My lawn uh, was still brown, uh, and it is right now too because we haven't really recovered yet. So we get, we can see that picture. As the grass withers, so has this man's heart, to the point where he forgets to eat his bread. Have you been there? Have you been to that point where you're so sorrowful, so broken-hearted that you can't even eat? The appetite's just not there. That is a symptom. Uh, connected to depression. It's not necessarily... I mean, we view depression as like a an ongoing condition sometimes. It can be, certainly. It can also be momentary. Like, you can be depressed for a day or a week. It doesn't have to be months or a year or something like that. It varies. My loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh... That's a continuation, really, of verse 4, the forgetting to eat my bread. It is a fasting, really, as he continues to cry out day and night to the Lord. He's thinning. He can see his bones. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. Whatever birds these might be, um, the, the point here is that they're unclean birds. A bird that hangs out in the ruins, a bird that hangs out in the wilderness. They're owls to begin with. Owls would be unclean. Um, the, the Hebrew here, a little uncertain what particular bird this might be. Uh, the first one, the desert owl in ESV, is referred to as perhaps being what's called the Syrian little owl. Uh, and then the next one, just a small owl. Of course, when you get the Greek translation of this verse, they used uh, birds that they knew. And they used the pelican in the first half of the verse and the night raven in the second. 
so also unclean birds, but not what we would think of as owls. The uncleanness part is is here the picture to be unclean, to be separated from the Lord. I lie awake like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. The Hebrew word here seems to refer to what we would call the Egyptian plover, which is a a little bird that hangs out by crocodiles and it'll land on their mouth and pick at their teeth. Um, Not not exactly a a pretty picture, right? Um, A bird that is by itself. He feels that loneliness. It is, it's eating at him, nagging at him. His enemies taunt him, turning his name into a curse. We do that. We turn people's names into curses today. You wouldn't want to be called by that man's name. I eat ashes like bread. So he sits so deeply in his despair. He sits in the ashes and he grieves. He's been sitting in the ashes so long. He's so piled up in ashes that they're getting into his mouth. He's consuming them. Tears mingle with his drink. So richly the tears flow from his eyes. Because of your indignation and anger. You have taken me up and thrown me down. My days like an evening shadow. I wither away like the grass. If it were just this paragraph, I would suggest Job as a possibility here for this psalm. The next one kind of puts that to rest, though, because it speaks of Zion, and that's centuries removed from where Job is. Job believed to have been a contemporary to Abraham, whether they knew each other or not. Uh, but around the same time period. So that's 1,100, 1,200 years before Jerusalem has a temple built in it. A long time. But he acknowledges the Lord is the one who has done this to him. The Lord has put him in this desperation. The Lord has brought this suffering upon him. That's one that we don't like to hear. We like to view the Lord as only giving us good. But the Lord gives us all things and he uses suffering. He brings suffering into the life of the faithful in order to sharpen our faith, to strengthen us. Because if we are not strengthened, what happens? We become like the parable of the sower, Matthew 13. The seed has been scattered on the well, all the soils, you've got the, the path, you've got the rocky soil, and you've got the, the weeds, and then you've got the good soil. The Lord is making us into good soil through suffering. Because without that, without the testing of our faith, without the strengthening, without the perseverance and endurance and character that come from suffering, we'd hear the word of God, rejoice greatly, and then a little suffering comes, or a little trouble comes, and our faith would be snuffed out. We would disappear. The Lord builds us up. Then a bit of rejoicing. You, O Yahweh, are enthroned forever, remembered throughout all generations. So God is king, and all people will know this. You will arise and have pity on Zion. So Zion's in trouble. Jerusalem is in trouble. Is this the destruction 
of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 587? I don't know. Uh, Is it an event prior to that? There's not enough in the context to tell us for sure. But Jerusalem's in trouble. And yet the psalmist declares, It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. You can't say that unless it's by the Spirit's inspiration. The time has come for God to fight for his people. I mean, we could easily make the connection forward to Jesus with this. The appointed time. I don't know why 6 BC, 5 BC, 4 BC was the right time for Jesus to come, but it was. It was God's time. He knew it to be the appropriate time for Jesus to come and begin that earthly ministry the fulfillment of the law that would take away all of our sins by his death on the cross as he shed his blood for us. He has had pity on Zion. He has arisen to favor his people. The time came. Now we would also look forward to the second coming. That time is coming, and it is coming soon, where Jesus Christ will return to have pity on his people. The new Jerusalem the church, the bride of Christ, from Revelation 21. Your servants hold her stones dear. They have pity on her dust. That dust is probably a reference to some kind of destruction. I guess we could say it's just the dirt of the ground, that so much so they love Jerusalem. But why would they just have pity on the dust? Again, that it strikes as some kind of devastation has hit Jerusalem, They're holding her stones dear, so they cherish the city's walls, also the stones that build the temple. They love this place. God will favor them. God will restore them. And so nations will come to fear Yahweh. They will fear his glory because they will see what he does. He regards the prayer of the destitute, does not despise their prayer. He answers. Yahweh builds up Zion. He appears in glory. Again, Jesus comes, rescues, redeems, restores, builds us up as the church. First Peter 2, the spiritual house that is built on the cornerstone that is Christ. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, that people yet to be created may praise Yahweh. How true is that? Uh, and continues to be true to this day that we would also share our faith with those yet to come, the generations after us, but also the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures that have been written that, well, as John says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He looked down from his holy height to hear the groans of the prisoners, prisoners to sin, death, and the devil, to set free those who were doomed to die that they may declare in Zion the name of Yahweh and in Jerusalem his praise. God rescues us and we praise his holy name. He has saved us from sin, death, and the devil, and we rejoice and we tell the world. And so the kingdoms will come to worship Yahweh. This is true. Every kingdom under heaven has heard the good news. Colossians 1, Paul says it twice. Every tongue, every language, every people Revelation uses that kind of language as well. We'll know the Lord. Now, not every person, not everyone will believe. So when I said every tongue, it was language. Tongues and languages are interchangeable words. 
biblically speaking. But yes, individually, people have a tongue, and not every tongue will worship Yahweh, unfortunately. Verse 23 recognizes God has done this again, just as he said back in verses 10 and 11. God has done it. God has shortened his days. But God endures forever. Sorrow? Despair? Yes. Faith? Yes. This man, in whatever it is he's enduring, knows who God is, knows that God will redeem, knows that God answers prayers, knows that God will lift up Zion, lift up his church, and he will rescue them. Of old he laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Nice picture of creation, praising God for creating. They will perish but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same. Your years have no end. It's a picture of the new heaven and the new earth. Second Peter 3 talks this way. As Peter wrote, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. New heaven. There's a new heaven, a new earth coming. The psalmist of old knew it, pointed to it. Heaven and earth will pass away, be changed out like we change out a garment. So like you put on a t-shirt today and at the end of the day you take it off, throw it into the laundry and you put on a new shirt for tomorrow. So God changes out heaven and earth. As magnificent as heaven and earth and all of creation are to us from our perspective, They're just like a garment. They're going to be changed. Changed out. But Yahweh, Yahweh, he does not change. He remains. And because he remains, verse 28, the children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. God's promises endure throughout all generations. God's faithfulness endures throughout all generations. The psalmist and his children, his children's children, and their great-great-great-great-grandchildren at this point, however many generations removed, they stand before the Lord, and because he does not change, they are secure. The promise never went away. They live on. Those who believe in Christ will not perish but have everlasting life in paradise. Amen.